0: Hello and welcome to another week of the Pink Bike Podcast. This week, I, I was going to say, I, Henry Quinney, but that sounds very serious, (laughs) (laughs) like I'm actually going to do something important. I, Henry Quinney, I'm doing the podcast (laughs) and joined on this quest is Mike Casimer and Alicia Leggett. Alicia, it's a big week, we've got shock week, which Mike is going to explain in a bit, but you want to take us through the news?
1: yeah. A lot of it doesn't have all that much to do with the chalks, but some of it does. For recent events, the racers have been sort of between racing blocks, but the free riders are throwing down, and we're at Swatch 9s, formerly known as Audi 9s, um, and as usual, we saw some really, really impressive riding. Always so cool to see those riders throwing down. But yeah, back to sort of the tech side of things, because I think we've been seeing a lot of that recently. Kazimer, I learned about an interesting new fork design. Um, that you wrote an article about this week, that is going to have even more space for air than the forks we see right now. Can you explain that to me?
2: Yeah, there's an interesting little patent floating around from Fox where they basically it details the um, the crown of the fork has air pockets and air chambers, kind of hollowed out, so you could increase the volume of the fork and kind of affect the um, affect the air spring design with that. Whether the air goes from one side to the other, like one leg to the other, or one side, or there's a bunch of little different kind of permutations that they explained in the patent um yeah it's pretty interesting just something different it makes sense when you think about it like oh you could do that
0: so kaz so we've seen before aftermarket designs that have done something similar i'm thinking immediately of that Vorsprung mm-hmm. with it looks like kind of like a baked potato strapped to the edge of the the, the forklower what um is, is it it's basically the same design would you say or similar philosophy
2: yeah exactly because so you, what you could do with this even though it Basically, if you just had your fork as it is and you drilled this hole in there, it would increase the positive air chamber. But if you if you change the orientation of the internals, you could make a larger negative air chamber, which they do to try to make forks feel basically more coil-like. It affects the way that the the spring curve is. So instead of having kind of distinct portions as it goes through the travel, it just has a more linear uh, feel throughout its travel. It is interesting. Yeah, Like patents are always just funny to see, interesting to see what companies are working on. So you do read that article it has the pictures and you can actually if you're feeling really inspired you can read the whole patent which is just really exciting stuff
1: really exciting stuff thanks for doing yeah. that for us guys waiting through it yeah it's just <laughs> cool welcome. i kind of like yeah. seeing just what companies think might be possible like it doesn't even have to be tried and true and tested and actually developed yet it's just cool to i don't know see that it's maybe a thing
2: yeah exactly yeah. And that's why I look at that stuff. It's kind of a, in some cases, it's a glimpse into the future, you know, mm-hmm. of what they're thinking about and it kind of lets you know, or that comes out right before the the product comes out too. There's no real thing. Sure. But yeah. It's worth, I mean, it's not, it's not too hard to find them either. So anyone can kind of look around and see what has been patented. There's some wild stuff out there. I think Shimano has a bike with an auto adjusting stem. <laughs> so like, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. Come off it. Yeah. What does that, that even patent- mean? Well, it means that your bikes, so let's say you're going uphill, the stem would lengthen for your uphill. Huh. And then you go downhill and See, then the stem shortens. I just, yeah, I, yeah. So, yeah. My feelings that
1: stem length are not that strong. Like I, There are actually several lengths mm. that I'm well, comfortable never with auto adjusting up and downhill.
0: Yeah. At, at what point will like a cadaver be able to ride one of these bikes? Do you know what <laughs> I mean? Probably, yeah, we've got auto-shifting <laughs> gears, auto-steering, got that KISS system, and now it's like... Is there any way to wait the front? Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You can't just push.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it just goes.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. What a world. Well, we also saw some other stuff happen with suspension this week. Um, A new RockShox shock came out, and Dario has actually been riding that and has already had some positive things to say. I also saw something about a new electronic uh, cross-country shock spotted at World Champs that I think could be really cool just because electric suspension makes maybe the most sense to me for the cross country crowd. And so, yeah, I guess I'm just curious to see how it develops.
2: Yeah, for sure. And so what the one you're referring to is the shock part of the flight attendant system. Yes. Um, so we saw on Nino Scherter's bike uh, maybe a couple of races ago. Yeah. He had the fork, but because his bike hides the shock inside the, the frame, mm-hmm. we couldn't see the shock. So now we've seen the shock emerge on the outside. So it's, yeah, part of that flight attendant system um, could be interesting. For my ideal world, I think it would just be a lockout or an electronic lockout that you could just have on the front with no, not tied to the fork. And I think that could be cool for all bikes, but they seem to be wanting (laughs) to have these auto adjusting and, you know, a little more complicated systems, but
1: the tech behind it's cool, at least. Well, especially with your
0: auto adjust stem, it makes a (laughs) new thing.
2: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Auto everything.
1: Yeah. So Henry, I'm pretty curious about your take on all this. What are you most excited to see in the bike world right now?
0: honestly i'm still waiting for more bikes to have frame storage that just seems like such a, an easy win i don't know why anyone wouldn't do it um but i'm kind of interested in this i don't know if it's like the second third fourth wave of um idler equipped bikes actually i think that a couple of them were rough around the edges i think maybe hmm they was weren't weren't quite perfect but i think they're getting better and i think they're looking better um and i'm really excited to to swing a leg over some of them and I don't know. I, I, Kaz, you know, we had we had a couple of bikes in for a field test a few years ago. We had that Norca Range, we had that GT Force. At a similar time, I imagine, you tested that Cavins mm-hmm. bike. Yeah. Yeah, There's exactly. also like the, the first Dreadnought. Um, some of them are kind of stood the test of time where perhaps others haven't. What do you think was in that first wave of bikes that made them, like for instance, the Norca Range is still a great bike that you could buy now and it would still do you very well. What
2: mm-hmm. is it about that style of bike that helps? Yeah, I think it is just kind of like they're the way they can just eat up bumps. Then like, you know, have that rearward axle path, and that's really there is a distinct feel difference between the way that a idler equipped bike rides compared to a non idler typically. Then, you know, there's different ways to do it, but I think when you are in really rough terrain and really just want the like this actually smooth the ground out below you, it, they do that. So I think there is something to be said for that feel basically.
0: But in terms of what do you think makes a, a one a good version of an idler equipped bike oh, yeah. compared to one that doesn't?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's so much – just because a bike has an idler doesn't mean that the suspension designs are all identical. I think some people just think, oh, there's an yes, idler. Yes, it does, Kaz, Kaz, know, no, nuance, <laughs> no nuance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I think that's the thing. You, know, you, can have a, you can stick an idler on most, but a lot of companies have been kind of playing with that pivot placement. So if you have a really high pivot, the axle path, um, as the bike goes through its travel, the wheelbase gets a lot longer. And I think they're kind of finding out where the sweet spot is, where the bike doesn't feel so crazy long in the turns but also still maintains a lot of those benefits. So um, yeah, it's kind of a neat neat area for companies to experiment in.
0: And speaking of rear suspension, Kaz, this week we have Shock Week going on. Can you just explain the premise and what's happening there?
2: Yeah, so the premise is that Shock Week's an amazing name for a week, and we wanted to do something <laughs> <laughs> with the play on words. It's been, I mean, for the full story uh, one of the former owners of Pinkbike, he proposed this I mean, maybe like eight years ago and he kept trying to have it happen and it never quite happened, but then this year we made it happen and we also have amazing illustrations by Taj uh, Mihalich to go along with it. So that's the basics of shock week, but overall we just got some of the top air shocks in for testing, Uh, brought them up to the Whistler bike park and Dario and Matt beer, just put a bunch of miles in on them. So we're going to have reviews of all those along with some other kind of just basic terminology explained. We've got some burning questions with some shock product managers um and a few other articles that accompany that so just a little kind of um just a little part in the season just to kind of take a time to pause and look at the current state of mountain bike rear suspension
0: and are we going to have a fork week at some point
2: we could it doesn't really roll off the tongue as well so we need some kind of like it doesn't
0: fork fortnight
2: yeah maybe that's it could be there's a lot of forks out there (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i'll just call it like forking forks or yeah we'll think of it we got time to think but for now we've got shock week this week so that's that's coming Soon. By the time you listen to this, it'll be mostly wrapped up, actually.
0: And I think before we go into the main podcast, which is actually sort of a roundtable discussion of Shock Week with uh, with Dara and Matt, talking about each shock individually, as well as talking about some of the methodology in the week, I just want to go on Comment Gold. And this is actually pretty good. This was. There's a really good series of interviews by Nick Bentley talking about World Cup tyre tech, World Cup brake tech, and speaking to different teams and manufacturers about what it is they're trying to pursue. And um, HP Deskjet3630 said as a top comment on a Maxis article, I used to run brand name tyres on on my bike, but now I've switched to different brand name tyres and they are so much better. You should definitely run them. And that's probably pretty indicative of most comments on,
2: on yeah, tire pretty, reviews. <laughs> it's pretty good. If you look, if you read that comment and then you scroll down in the comments, all of the comments mimic that one or mirror it. Like people <laughs> already started chiming in. So it's pretty ideal because, I mean, obviously you get a flat, you're going to hate that tire that you had. And then the next tire you yeah. get, if it doesn't have a flat, you're going to love that tire. So yeah, it's kind of how yeah, it goes. Totally. Yeah,
0: totally. But um, yeah, let's get into this podcast. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you enjoy Shock Week. Because if you do, it means that we can send another two plucky tech editors to go ride Whistler for a week, all in the name of science. Thanks, guys. Joining me, as saved in my phone, is Dario Desquiglio and Matty Beery, the two pink bike tech editors tasked with conducting Shock Week. How did you test? Was there a particular bike used on Dario? Was there a particular trail? Or what were the sort of controls that we were going for?
3: Yeah, we did all of the shock testing on the Santa Cruz Nomad. We had two identical nomads built up that Matt and I were riding. Everything was the same except for the shocks on them. And then we did have like identical pairs of some shocks to try. And we were riding them primarily in the Whistler Bike Park, primarily in Creekside on, was it Misfire to Delayed Fuse? In addition to a lot of other bumpy trails bc's trail some stuff like that most basically just like all the laps that had the most bumps as well as some with like big g outs and stuff
0: and matt how does so is a shock a good shock or is there kind of give and take with the frame and how much does a frame play in and did you use the same fork what were the other controls around around the bike
4: setup Dario and I did ride the same bikes like you said we had the Santa Cruz Nomad all the other parts were kept equal throughout the test and should mention that all the shocks are air shocks all of the brands were aware that we were riding Santa Cruz Nomads so they sent the most appropriate tune and bearing configuration for the eyelet and whatnot and yeah we just kept lapping the same trail uh, seeing how quickly we could dial the shocks into our liking and made fine tweaks after that and Got on with it. And Dario Sounds a bit
0: do we th- do you think, you know, all these are air shocks, are we at the time where the air shock is as good as, if not better, for most riders in the coil? I think some of these coil shocks, having had a little play myself, sorry, some of these air shocks, mm. one or two feels more like a coil than a coil in some ways. Yeah. Um, what was your relationship and how, how and did this period of testing change your opinion on anything in terms of air or coil?
3: I don't know. I think there, there are like still inherent benefits to running a coil shock that like certain people will feel and want. It looks cool. Looks cool. You get to say you're on coil. On coil. You're hashtag on coil at all <laughs> times. Uh, you remain so. I think honestly like the biggest benefit that coil still has is like the thoughtlessness behind it where you can just like pop it on. You don't have to check your pressure. You're in like a broader increment so you're not fussing as much. So I think for some people maybe that's good. But performance wise, in terms of like absorbing bumps, yeah, I think a lot of these air shocks are getting really close to performance that coils have. Um depends yeah. on the bike though. Like to answer your well, prior question, option, I yeah. think like like concisely, I think the nomad is a really good bike to test on. One, because it has it's really easy to remove shocks from. I think certain other bikes would be like too faffy for us to do this with. But like the nomad, we just glued the flip chip in so that doesn't come out. It's just stuck in low position. We could two six mil bolts quickly have a different shock in it's a bike that we both know pretty well and has like its own quirks but they're like predictable like you know what it feels like throughout travel
0: so in regards to this testing we, we said how we did it you know what we're trying to achieve find the best air shock for a santa cruz nomad were there any limitations in the way that we tested which we should be aware of or that you were aware of.
3: And we actually perfect scientific yeah, testing true. the whole way Jones, through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um yeah, I think like we could have spent more time getting like perfect, perfect settings for each specific trail. I do think that like as a test lap what we were doing was quite long. Like a lap down creekside is like what like fifteen minutes and if, if you're stopping. I could time. just
0: hop in there. I and mean, like <laughs> when you get into the real minute details of suspension setup. Yeah it gets so specific to the track you're riding. Yeah, and so totally. actually it's not, it's kind of, it gives it one hand and it takes with the other. And you know, you could go and do, you know, minute, get the perfect amount of clicks and a PSI here or there, but you ride it somewhere else and you're going to be out by the same amount you adjusted it to. So yeah. I think actually riding it on a, a variety of trails is in some ways a strength.
3: Yeah. I think, and we had like, we, we did have a variety at our disposal, which was nice. But in order to like, try to hammer out the little differences between them we did ride like a very similar lap each time
0: and were there any emissions from what we tested any brands that we wanted to include perhaps couldn't perhaps couldn't Mm -hmm. i know that sometimes supply chain issues are are still a thing also fitment on frames
4: yeah totally yeah the nomad does have some constraints there with that shock tunnel how the you know the c-tube sort of splits and the shock goes through the middle of that um ext the italian brand has a brand new air shock the area we tried to get that um it will be available for a nomad shortly but not in time for this test yeah so that was one one shock we couldn't include would have been need to
3: i will say like even with the five we did test fitment was like close on a couple like yeah. dangerously close <laughs> um it worked and like at bottom out you'd find out that you'd oriented something wrong. <laughs> you'd fix oh yeah, that. I did that with the Olens. Yeah. Because it was
4: yeah. Depending on yeah. like how you kind of nestled it in and what bolt went first, it was like very, very close to one end, and then if you flipped it so that the uh, air, valve air valve was, up, was on yeah. the other side, then it like you know, yeah. looked fine until it compressed and we like double checked and we're like, Oh no, it's gonna hit
0: I once had a disaster with that. Oh. First um you know, I was very wet behind the ears, first yeah. race. Um, wrenching for Tracy Hannah, which I was very excited about because this was big time mountain biking. You know, I was yeah. flew over to Australia for nationals, very excited, mm-hmm. only from New Zealand, so it wasn't that far, but still, sure. it was very exciting as an yeah. international flight. And um, she'd taken it's actually one of these X2 shocks, and she'd taken it to the bike shop. And they'd put the, for those of you that aren't, you know, so lucky as to be watching this on video, you could basically have the Schrader valve. Yeah. at two different orientations and they put it in the other one after rebuilding the shock. I I'd never seen this bike as a prototype bike. Yeah. I didn't even know it existed but they put it the other way and it just smoked the heck on our first one and she was just like, who's this mechanic, man? My <laughs> like, fuck, he's an absolute lemon. Yeah. <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> and it was very, very embarrassing. But hey, Damn. living, learning. So let's get into it. For those of you that aren't watching, we've got a scales in front of us and I've got the Fox Float X2 with the its bushes, etc. so it's ready to slot straight into the bike, and it weighs 730 grams. Now, this shock has high-speed compression, low-speed compression, high-speed rebound, low-speed rebound, and a pedal assist lever, and it costs 699 US dollars. So, first of all, I think the, the most important things is, do the adjustments on this shock work do you, did, could you feel the clicks could you feel the do you feel like you could get a good setup with this shock Matt want to start with you
4: yeah like I said we kind of went off the baseline settings uh, a nomad is a pretty straightforward leverage curve um, and yeah we were kind of I, I found myself in the most of the middle range of the clickers um,
0: and but could and could you feel the difference you know sometimes with for instance, if when we get to the OLINs, the high-speed compression's only got three settings, but they're very distinct, mm-hmm. you know, dialing in the same high-speed compression or, or rebound, could you feel the effects changing between a click or two or maybe three? I mean, sometimes one clicks are, but two two yeah. or three clicks is a good base, I think, I think.
3: two for me is like the number on here, yeah. like one sometimes, like rebound one, you can feel, mm-hmm. but with compression, like a couple, mm-hmm. where I would start to notice things. Yeah, I think I'm on the
4: same same page there, yeah high speed and low speed rebounds you can definitely feel one to two clicks pretty quickly low speed compression as well mm-hmm. um kind of dictates how the bike sits uh you know through berms when you're pushing through it so yeah that one you can definitely feel and you know just to sort of get like a a feel for the shock i'd often just like close the low speed completely, mm-hmm. and then open it completely. Yeah, maybe way halfway do it, down right? a run, just like mm-hmm. to see what it's doing. Make sure that I'm moving in the right direction to set up the shock.
0: Right, but also it can be really valuable in terms of setting up. I think the the way that hmm, so the way that compression and rebound adjustments are mated together. For instance, you can have your compression. It can feel like a compression problem, but actually, it's a rebound problem, right? And until you start oh, isolating right. them, yeah. and you know, your bike might feel harsh, and that's because it's never getting back to full stroke to go right. to the stop part of the spring. Similarly, it might feel like the rebound is too fast because of the instability, but that's because it's going to the lowest spring rate at full extension right. and then not having enough low speed damping to restrict that initial movement. Mm-hmm. So you think, oh my God, it's all juddery because the rebound's going crazy, but it can, it can be difficult. And I think that that's the way that, you know, I would, I, I think that that's the valid way to. Test these amazingly highly sophisticated shocks is to go to the wrong place to find out where the right one is. Yeah. Um, Dario, how, how did you feel the adjustments on this shock were, and also were they easily accessed? Um, that's an important question. Of, yeah, what I
3: think. with the X2, you do have to carry a tool. It's a six mil and a three mil to adjust everything, uh, and then the high speed rebound is uh, like knurled knob that you can adjust.
0: And can you could you access it easily? Because sometimes on frames they can be quite tricky
3: the, to get The to. Nomad. You kind of have to lift up its skirt a little bit. It has like a flap over its uh, shock tunnel. Uh,
0: Are we going to get demonetized?
3: (laughs) And you you have to like lift that up to get to it. Same deal on the Vivid. You have to lift it up to get in there. But it's easy enough. It's like the... I don't know. I wasn't fussing with high-speed rebound as much as I was other things, I think. Like once you get it at a decent starting point, you're good for a bit.
0: So with this Fox Float X2... What's its unique selling point or something it's doing differently to some of these other shocks on test?
4: Well, the X2 definitely has a lot of adjustability built in. Uh, Not only is it an air shock, which you can adjust very incrementally in terms of the spring rate. You can add the volume spacers, of course. But most importantly, it has two-way high and low rebound Mm -hmm. and high and low speed compression adjustments. Um, And nothing else here has the high and low rebound Every other shock that we have has a singular rebound adjuster. So, yeah, you can you can independently change those two. And I think Fox's guidelines sort of steer you in the right direction for that. So if you do find that amount, those those numbers of clickers overwhelming, then, yes, lean towards those guidelines.
0: And this shock is, like I said, it's, it's packed with features. Um, architecturally, in terms of adjustment, it's also... I think it's one of the first shocks that came out with a really, really big air shaft, which a lot of frames have been very reliant upon by the years to do some of the heavy lifting in terms right. of stiffness. Um, do you think it achieves what it set out to do in terms of having this adjustable high-performance shock?
3: Yeah, I mean, you look at like the bikes on the market now and what racers are running. You know, Obviously, like there are two primary brands that dictate a lot of that. It's Fox and RockShox, but the X2 is like a benchmark shock. It's on downhill bikes, enduro bikes, some trail bikes even, and does perform really well. You know, I think it's had like phases of rolling changes come out. Like we just saw one, like this is the updated seal. It's supposed to be more durable, You know, little incremental update there. But architecturally, it's pretty close to how it was when they released it a while back. And does
0: it have a particular feel that you'd be able to describe? You know, what, what does riding the shock feel like compared to, I mean, it's hard because we don't have one we're comparing it to, we're comparing it to so many. but does it do a good job in terms of tracking all the things you'd expect from a high-end shock
3: ride feel wise it's like it can it can be very fluttery obviously like a lot of that comes down to the tune and your settings and the bike it's on but like it has uh what do you mean by fluttery it it can move lightly yep yeah i would agree Um,
0: in the initial part of the stroke or on repeated hits can it track and still have that break ease of breakaway even if it's in the mid stroke
4: i think both Yeah, I think that again comes down to the amount of adjustability in there Mm -hmm. in that you can Balance that high and low speed rebound um, So you can have that really supple fluttery floating feeling, Mm -hmm. you know It reacts really quickly on the small stuff and then on the bigger hits uh, You can control the ramp up with the volume spacers, but you're not going to get kicked
0: And so kind of wrap this up. Let's talk about the strengths and weaknesses of this shock Um who wants to have at it? who wants to go matt what's a what's the strength of this shock
4: like we talked about the adjustability um this one also has a bearing mount for the nomad uh, so that definitely helps the little break in um as the the lower link rotates the shock uh quite a bit through the stroke it's it's very sensitive very sensitive, very sensitive, shock, sensitive shock. shock which is what you want in yeah, an air Chris shock <laughs>
0: and, uh, Dario, what were some of your strengths, Even maybe you can start venturing into weaknesses if you've got any to add?
3: I mean, I think Matt touched on the strengths well, I guess like weaknesses, uh, some people could get lost in the sauce in terms of adjustment, it is there's a wide range and the fidelity is quite narrow.
0: And if I could just bolt down on that, if people are getting lost in the sauce, which is a
3: great, <laughs> which is perfect,
0: what's the remedy to that? Set it to everything in the middle, call it a day? um or just go bracketing do your bracketing god stop listening to this podcast i mean go and bracket. I- ideally
3: it's the second thing <laughs> a lot of frames have recommended settings with specific shocks a lot of shock manufacturers have specific or recommended settings with certain frames so you could refer to those but yeah i mean ideally if you're buying a super boutique product like you have enough of a like sense for what you want out of it to be able to then like adjust towards that want um
0: okay that requires
3: some work but maybe over
0: adjustable any other weaknesses you'd like to touch upon
3: um we didn't experience it on this but we should talk like there have been durability issues with the x2 uh historically depends on the frame a bit we didn't see any here
0: i think it depends on the frame a lot quite quite a bit slash a lot um and as one of you know we said early on but as a large shaft air shock i think couple of years ago more prevalent than now maybe a lot of manufacturers are just oh my god thank god (laughs) thank god that shock can can do can do the work
3: yeah what henry's meaning in that is that like a lot of frame manufacturers have now started using shocks as like strut structural members which puts a ton of force on them that they're not really necessarily meant to take
0: yeah and and the basically a larger diameter shaft can lend itself to being stiffer Mm-hmm. which means that the frames that flex most end up with the stiffest shocks on, stiffest in quotation marks, but then that flex and they break and everyone's like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And it's like, i want to put a core shock on there and you just snap it like a twiglet. But anyway, that's um, into the weeds that goes. So now it's time to talk about the Fox's evil brother, the blacked out vivid. Um, have they just copied Fox's own work? It looks like the same bloody shock. It's got a lot of the same features, I would say is the Fox. It doesn't have a two separate um, rebound adjustments though. So it weighs, do you want to pop on the scales?
3: I can't see. 738. It weighs
0: 738 grams and is $729. So like I said, this has high speed, low speed compression, one rebound adjuster, a pedal adjust just like the Fox did and What's that? It's got a high-speed bottom-out. Hydraulic bottom-out. It's got a hydraulic bottom-out. Matt, what the hell is a hydraulic bottom-out? Why do we want it? Is it a good idea? And etc., etc.
4: Yeah, it is interesting to see a hydraulic bottom-out on an air shock. Historically, it was mostly a coil shock thing to alleviate harsh bottom-outs, which is something that an air shock also tried to solve by adding volume spacers and building up that progression ramp Um, this way you can stop those harsh bottom outs without having that large energy stored by the ramp up
0: Mm -hmm. Um, but that must get awful complicated you know we just spoke about with the fox shocks things twisting and now we're trying to get a little top hat aligned over a certain shaft Mm. that sounds like a recipe for disaster no
3: I luckily I don't have to think about what goes on inside. I just press I just press it in multiple times, and sometimes it works. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it is. Like it's it's a big engineering thing to tackle, but luckily for them, it does work. Uh, I think it's worth noting that like we'll just call it HBO, so we don't have to keep saying hydraulic bottom out. HBO and uh, volume spacers feel different. They're not. They don't treat bottoming out in the same way like uh, as matt alluded to like a volume spacer kind of has more potential energy and you get like a bounce back a bit well,
0: also when especially when you have a progressive frame and then you have a progressive spring rate mm-hmm. it can be really challenging for rebounds just to claw that back suddenly right. it's such a variance that having in this instance just the one unlike mr fox right. rebound um, it, it can get quite confusing yeah um so but as we know a good shock is a product of hydraulic right and you know air spring and hy- hydraulic damping so it does make sense to mm-hmm. to rely on that for the maybe yeah. the most difficult bit
3: so for like where a token in this case they call them tokens feels like a bit springier if you will like it, it, it relies more on on the rebound when you're hitting the end of the stroke hbo can feel like a softer catch this yeah. this also does have softer catch volume spacers reference? Sure. Nice. Yeah, well, they have a football North reference America. in here already, so we
4: might oh, as well double down. I got one for you. Go on. So if you were to, like, jump onto a trampoline mm-hmm. and you bounce back real quick, you got double bounce, that would kind of be like an overly progressive air, air uh, spring on an air shock. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you, like, jumped into a pool and you kind of have that splashdown effect, mm-hmm. that would be more like a hydraulic bottom-out yeah. effect.
0: Does this hydraulic bottom-out mean that there are no
4: harsh bottom-outs? It could, depending on where you have it set. Did it?
3: I mean, in the, in the, when you got the it set up, how you liked? Really have a harsh bottom out? That's still
0: not answering the question. <laughs> when you had it set up, how, how you liked? Could you feel bottom out difference between this and the other shocks?
4: The way that I set up the air spring, uh, no, no, there were no harsh bottom outs, even with the hydraulic bottom out open. Open, and we tried. So <laughs> we I mean, tried,
0: And yeah. this is this is something that OE partners of Shocks will be able to spec. They'll be able to spec hydraulic bottom yes. out. Maybe it's always needed, maybe it's it's not needed. Because it does seem strange, like we've got we've gone down this path of loads of progressivity in terms of our linkages, getting that just cooked to a turn. And then we're adding something. But maybe this would have been more useful a couple of years ago. Mm. Sorry, not to talk about like, you know, the close the stable door once the horse is bolted. But <laughs> right. it does feel a bit like maybe. Huh?
3: Well, there are still like I don't know, there are still plenty of different frame designs That's on true. the market that like could really rely on that and I do think like with that technology at your disposal You can start to play with like the way you set up the shock differently like maybe some people would run lower air pressure Knowing they're gonna hit the end of the stroke more, but then they have yeah. more bottom-out.
0: It's interesting to hear that on the Santa Cruz You know it, the performance was good. It's hard to say, you know, ideally I don't tell but you do want to put it on orange five, right? You know, that's yeah. what we're looking <laughs> to do. Let's admit it. Well, you want to put it on orange five yeah. and just, you know, s- see what happens um so, this bike feels, sorry, this, this shock feels like it's got a lot of adjustment. I think it, it looks, I think there are some criticisms I would say, maybe, to be fair, from being honest, I think the Marzocchi and the DVO don't look quite as high end as some of the others. And I think this is the best looking shock mm. on test in my mind. I think it's angular, it looks like something that's fallen out the Death Star. It looks absolutely that's great. Fair.
3: I like the Orlans just because it has like a. I don't know has a nice balance to it but we'll talk about this aesthetics of the shots later
0: i really like that olin shock but that's rebel alliance and that's the Galactic mm, yeah, yeah, Empire, yeah i kind of you know dig I mean? that
3: yeah it's like yeah. organic and like funky but yeah. this is very like sinister and serious it's also the heaviest shock on test it's big um you know i think we can move down the list of like things it has a lot of adjustment it and the X2 kind of split the difference in terms of like which has more, depending mm. on what you value. Like the X2 has high speed rebound. This has hydraulic bottom out.
0: And we focused a lot on hy- hydraulic bottom out so far, HBO. Mm. Do the other adjustments work? Are they effective?
4: If we could just jump back to the hydraulic bottom out. Please. First, uh, it is quite tucked away. There, We talked about, you know, sort of the look of the shock and where the hydraulic bottom out is. It's right in behind the forward shock mount. Oh, that's perfect. So it's actually quite tricky to reach. Uh, not that you would be adjusting it as much as maybe a rebound or low-speed compression.
3: Um,
0: How many clicks does it have, or turns, or five. Five. five?
3: So the RockShox has a lot less clicks if we're comparing to the X2, which are kind of like the, the most apples to apples in this thing.
0: And do you think that they offered a similar amount of adjustment between, say, three clicks you know comparable to two clicks on three clicks on the fox comparable to two clicks did they actually could you feel like you could get through it
4: mm-hmm
3: i'd say the range is usable like if you go like extreme as matt was saying like that's a good way to get a sense for what the shock is doing is go like extreme open extreme close and like they're both rideable and they do feel very distinct like
4: yeah each click is noticeable yeah. is more noticeable on the vivid than on the fox mm-hmm. and i think that's you know, whether you're using the chart, um, it's not something that everybody does. They, they should definitely look at those charts, no matter what the shock, but each click is more noticeable and I think that's easier for people to get to a happy place on the bike.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And this is this is a big
0: shock for shocks
4: because, you know, the Vivid
0: used to be a real staple mm-hmm. and it's going back to, yeah, challenge things like the Fox Float X2 and the mm-hmm. offerings from Olin's. Um, does it set out what it... Does it achieve what it set out to do?
3: Yeah. I'd say they made it like X2 competitor.
4: X2 competitor. Better than X2?
0: Hmm. If, you had, if you had one on
4: your bike? On the Nomad, the bike we tested, I think they were both equal. They did things yeah. slightly different. No,
0: not toxic enough, Matt. <laughs> not, for God's sake. I will only ride this. You guys have been hanging out with Kaz too much. He's <laughs> always just like, well, that's really no,
3: they, w- too considered. Matt and I like, were like over and over again, kind of coming back to the point that like the X2 and the Vivid feel really similar. One convenience with the Vivid, uh, when it comes to adjustability, is the fact that you can just pull the rebound knob off and it's a hidden three mil that you can oh, then good. use to adjust oh, HBO didn't even know that. and HSC.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. So basically I need to, even if I've got a Fox shock, as long as I ride with someone with one of these, <laughs> But then you basically need, You right also there. need a six mil. Fuck what shock, I, what, what size is that Cane Creek one?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Okay, cool. So, I just that's like a little like I like seeing things that are like it makes it easier for the user to use the thing. Absolutely.
0: So, strengths and weaknesses of the vivid an important shock potentially for rock shocks. Matt, talk us through some of the strengths. Strengths
4: I would say that the shock for the Nomad was very easy to find the happy place, like, even the middle settings for the low speed and the high speed work very well they don't do anything too strange um it does have a threshold or climb switch or whatever you want to call it it does firm up the shock and it does feel incredibly supple and more evenly progressive than the float x2 or any other shock it didn't have sort of that little dive after the initial break-in that some of the air shocks do it just felt the most natural just like easy to get on with
0: um we talked about just to double down to one of those strengths there about the ease of adjustment do you guys like this sort of clock face style of adjustment area that they've got and also it makes up quite well with their forks
3: yeah i mean it just it's no it's not like fundamentally different from just counting your clicks to closed and then counting back but it is easy to just like have a visual gauge.
2: Yeah.
4: that's nice
3: talking about visual gauges. It does have a sag gradient on the shock. Yeah.
0: Extremely helpful. It's
4: nice. Can they yeah. release the painting?
0: I would Please, like Rock that. Please do do so. release the paint. What
3: I wish I, I don't, I, I would, I mean, we're going to talk about the DVO in depth, but like it would be cool if like the bottom of the O was 30% and you could just use that as a gauge DVO food for all the painting. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> um, let's talk about weaknesses. Of this, David yeah. then, mm-hmm. like I said, it's, it weighs quite a
3: lot. It's the heaviest. It's the heaviest on test. Um, it's going to be complicated to work on, similar to the X2, like relative to some of these others that are fairly simple. You need special tools, You right? need special tools for both. You're going to have to buy those or your shop, Will. Um, best to just bring these to someone who works on suspension, I think. Um, I think the X2 is more sensitive, like by a hair we'll see like maybe like 20 hours in that feels different. But like, I do think like back to back, it felt like the X2 was moving just like a little more, which like some people want them to move less. I don't know. (laughs) But I I think I felt that it's really subtle. (laughs) Like I had a hard time choosing a favorite between the X2 and the vivid. Cool. So maybe in that way, it's like a con is it didn't like blow the X2 out of the water.
0: So next we have the DVO, Topaz. Now, this is a shock. There's one thing the internet love. is a DVO. If you guys say anything bad about Manitou or DVO, your house is gonna get TP'd, your car's gonna get set on fire, they're gonna kidnap your cat. It's uh, so, uh, you brave souls doing some really hard-hitting journalism here. People think hard journalism is done in a basement in North Korea. It's not. It's done here right now. Now, let's get this DVO. It weighs, how much does it weigh? It costs 550 US dollars, so fair bit cheaper. And it weighs 512 grams. So it's also a fair bit lighter. So the internet so far has been proved correct. This is by far the best shock. No, Matthew?
4: (laughs) Yes, of course. Everything by weight first. (laughs)
0: What what feature does it have on this shock?
4: Well, it doesn't have the bearing mount. That might set apart the weight considerably. Yes. Uh, It has high and low speed compression adjustment, a singular rebound adjustment, and... A bladder pressure adjustment.
0: Okay, so my understanding, and talking to, you know, when you normally rebuild a shock, the shock will come with a prescribed air pressure to inflate the IFP chamber to. Now, just to explain to the listeners at home or the the viewers, as you push a column of oil through a shock, there is a thing called displacement. It's basically to need somewhere to take up the space momentarily as the, the damping occurs. Now normally some brands would suggest that actually changing the IFP pressure is not really a way to tune the shock but it will affect the preload against that column of oil and DVO feel differently Matt. Can you explain why you'd go a higher pressure or why you go lower pressure in that IFP chamber?
4: Uh, In the bladder pressure adjustment they say that it correlates more so sorry to the bladder i keep saying
0: ifp ifp means internal floating piston and i'm wildly out of tune with the internet and the times i forget that people have bladders now and that's yeah. very very exciting matthew <laughs> take it take take the reins <laughs>
4: <laughs> they just say that uh the higher the pressure in the air spring the higher the pressure in the bladder
0: which kind of makes sense like if you're a heavier rider that runs less sag. maybe you should have there should be more like i said kind of preload against that that column of oil um there's loads of things to talk about here in terms of how much the adjustments that we've discussed on the x2 and the vivid work did that did you experiment at all with the changing that pressure behind the bladder
4: previously i tested a dvo not the shock and i did play with that for this test i stuck with the recommended uh pressures for the air spring pressure
0: and did it make a difference when you tried it previously
4: it did. It, it definitely did. did make it firmer uh, in terms of the spring rate and just sort of the compression and did firm up the shock overall.
0: It, it's kind of hard to imagine, hey, because when we often think about firmness and adjustment, we think about air pressure and it it could sort of mimic and blur the lines between the two. It's, it's almost like a halfway house. Cause yeah. In some ways, it's kind of like a secondary I know it's not an internet DVO listeners, please don't get angry at me. But it is kinda of like a secondary air spring.
3: Yeah. Or like almost like a secondary compression adjustment. In a way, it's like it like affects the way that it moves through the stroke in a way that like some compression adjustments do. Like the sweeping just like closed out on the Mirzoki kind of it just like generally feels firmer. And I did play with it a little bit, but then it was like, I need to just settle. a spot so i can then play with the compression stuff
0: and was it easy to consistently change if we're talking about a handful of psi what what sort of range were you in
3: i mean so like they have a narrow range for like you can go between 140 and 180 psi so it's a relatively narrow window
0: and was that easy to consistently adjust i know sometimes when you have very small amounts of air that are charged to very high pressures even just changing it consistently can actually not be problematic but it'd be less consistent i think
3: i wouldn't say it's like an easy thing to adjust just because okay. like that is like i mean it's as easy as threading on a shock pump but like getting it to be exactly the same psi mm. is maybe like a bit more different in science yeah
0: um so we talked about the usp before the unique selling point is that is that the usp of this shock? would you say or is there something else hiding away
4: I think that's one of the main talking points. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, and that kind of goes back to the whole architecture of the shock and using a bladder and the selling feature of the bladder is that it is supposed to move from compression to rebound or rebound to compression, whatever way the shock is articulating, it's supposed to make that transition in direction change really smooth Mm -hmm. as opposed to one that would have a seal like an IFP.
0: And in terms of adjustment stereo, were these some things that you have felt were effective as you know we, we talked about maybe the the fox has a very wide range mm-hmm. the the effect the adjustments on the vivid were, were effective H- how did this one shape up
3: um i think effective like noticeable i count clicks i don't remember exactly yeah
4: i mean we could talk about clicks and settings all day long but i think yeah the most notable change or like the the standout for these clicks that i noticed was like they weren't incremental was like you could do a couple Mm -hmm. clicks and maybe felt
3: something but he closed it two more and it was like oh wow that's a huge difference it like felt like a progressive change in things that sounds more so with the compression
0: that sounds unhelpful to me you want a click to be a click you want your damping to be linear Mm -hmm. yeah to me and do you think that has any relation to the bladder system and the change of i'm not gonna i don't know Speculate enough is to that, say, yeah. is that above yeah. our pay grade i mean yeah, yeah. these like, commenters I, are warming
3: up their fingers man right they're like i know <laughs> specifically <laughs> what the issue is i mean i think it like like anything like you can learn that and then adjust for it but the the trouble with like something that's progressive in adjustment is that you might lose your spot like your ideal right. in that ramp so but also
0: like, if the steps are getting bigger what if you step between the step
3: right that's what i mean the, the, yeah yeah the two ones are there so was it easy for you to get the shock to your liking i guess is a good question close i never got it like bang on okay but close like it felt good in a lot of scenarios and i think like i wanted there to be more fidelity at a couple points or like i wanted my spot to not be like that next step but when i went there it didn't feel right
0: matt so this shock is cheaper lighter fucking green it's what, why wouldn't you get it compared to these more expensive heavier m- maybe more complicated mm-hmm. shocks of the vivid and the, and the and the fox
4: yeah all fair questions
0: what did it feel like what, what were its drawbacks if any at all
4: uh Darryl and i both noticed that it had a little bit of top out uh so when it returned to like full travel and the bike was unweighted it did have like a little kind of clunk to it mm-hmm. um but when the bike was on the ground it was very seamless as it transitioned back and forth. So it felt mm. extremely smooth when it was on the ground.
0: So do you think this shock, you know, set up what it achieved to do then? Does it offer a genuine, a cheaper, viable option compared to the Foxwalk shocks, yes or no?
4: Tough question. It is considerably cheaper. It does have decent adjustments with the low speed, high speed, but they do come at a less consistent change. Mm. So that could be tricky to set up. Uh, and then the top out is not favourable. It is extremely smooth. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and what what were the, you know, we spoke about how smooth off the top the X2 was. What was what was the Topaz like? Did it have? Did it was it able to flutter to keep up, or was it maybe even a bit more stiction than than the Vivid?
3: Um, or maybe well, not I would, stiction. I, would I wouldn't be say this. The Vivid is like defined by stiction at all. Mm. I think like X2 and Vivid were like the smoothest feeling oh, very, in terms of there. like breaking in. Like X2. For whatever architecture reasons and then like vivid they're advertising that like touchdown top 10 percent
0: okay and so did you notice any harsher bottom bouts without that what was the bottom out like did you get there was it did you find that you had enough progressivity in the bike and the air spring to not not need that h- hbo uh
4: the dvo and the Olens, i was talking about adding a blowing spacer yeah yeah did have one or two harder hits that I did reach full travel on.
3: Um, and like felt it a bit more. Yeah.
0: So let's go to strengths and weaknesses. Dario, talk about some of the strengths of this DVO shock.
3: Um, we've talked a lot about the smoothness of it. I think it does control travel really nicely throughout the stroke. Um, when you reach the right compression adjustment on it and rebound, it does feel like it's just like moving with the bike on the trail really nicely. I felt predictable too.
0: And some of the weaknesses, Matt.
4: Yeah, like I said, the sort of progressive change in the clickers. Uh, every click was not incremental. Uh, there's no threshold or climb switch on this. And the top up. And the top out.
0: Yeah, sweet. Cool. So let's get on to the Marzocchi bomber air shock. <laughs> let's do it. So to the Marzocchi. Now, for those of you that... Don't know at home, Marzocchi and Fox are very much one and the same. This looks hmm, looks similar to some Fox shocks, maybe one that's fallen off the countertop and has got a bit of a squint. What's going on with that? Is this not just a Fox shock, Matt? Uh,
4: I believe it does use some of the same parts internally, but it does have a more simplistic setup. There are just two adjustments uh, in addition to the airspring.
0: and why's is, why isn't that piggyback on? I was going to say straight. Maybe that'd be unfair. Why isn't parallel. it in line or parallel? <laughs> is it cool? Is that what cool is now? Is <laughs> it think, is it big on TikTok? I don't know.
3: I, I vaguely remember them making claims of it being better for fitment on different frames, but I think mm. realistically, it's just like it. It looks different.
0: It does look different. Different yeah. is a kind way to describe it.
4: I
3: don't. Um, I don't mind. Much, I, think it looks, I want it all in a. Am I, I, am I really fashioned that, I don't care about the look of a rear shock, really. Okay. Especially on well, the like on the bike we were testing on, you can't see the shock. Yeah, so oh, it's, well, it's
0: hidden. That's the sign of a good-looking shock when you're happy you can't see it. Yeah, this is the bike for it. Um, so, what features does this shock have? Right, Let's first, weigh it. First. And apart from it being cheapest at four hundred and seventy-nine dollars, you can pretty much you know nearly get two of these for a vivid.
3: And it weighs five oh eight grams,
0: and it's hundreds of dollars cheaper, hundreds of grams lighter. What are the um, what features does this shock have?
3: It has air pressure adjustment. It has rebound adjustment, and it has a sweeping dial.
0: And a that's sweeping it. dial,
3: and wow. that's, this is its like firm switch. It's kind of like a broad so that, compression that's adjustment. That's what you'd
0: reach when you went for pedaling.
3: Uh, you could close that out if you wanted to like have a pedal assist but it's also like for descending like some people might want it firmed up a bit like I ran mine a third of the way in
0: and so with that compression adjustment essentially throttle both I guess it would throttle an orifice damper I guess it would close off both low and high speed because it's going to limit everything for good and for bad Mm -hmm. Um, what you can get with a when you separate high and low speed adjustment is you can get something where you, you basically like I said one can set the threshold for another so you can still get that sort of, um, that deep stroke support once the oil diverts through the high speed, but you can still set it. So, you know, the, the low speed could potentially give you options in terms of when you want more tracking or more support. Um, what what were the adjustments on this? You know, we said the sweeping dial. Does that mean it's not indexed? No, it's just smooth. So you just got to guess. Remember where it is? Yeah. Do you, is it like a sundial? What
4: happens? Well, if you're familiar with like the Marzocchi forks or uh, Fox's regular grip dampers, uh, yes, it just has one compression adjustment that has no indexing, no clicks, just a full 180 turn will close it completely. Oh, okay. And control the compression.
0: And are there any markings on the shock for those at home to see where No. Those th- I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to not have any clicks in there. I don't think that's a problem at all. I don't think it's a problem. It's just a sweeping thing. But you think they give you one North Star of an edge? Yeah.
4: one would be nice.
0: I think, you know, I know. I think that's quite a quite a strange thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um this shock maybe doesn't have the adjustments, but it is like I said cheaper and lighter. Mm-hmm. Can it give deliver the performance of some of the something like the X2, it's bigger cousin, I suppose, maybe not brother.
3: I think in the right circumstance, yeah. I mean, it's not going to stop you from riding something at all. Like I I actually really liked the Mizoki and we're like reserving opinion broadly, but like It worked well. I like that you just don't really have to think about anything. You like set the basic settings, you get your sag right, and then you go for a ride. It's kind of nice.
4: Yeah, I was enjoying riding faster on that shock than all the others. I wasn't thinking about what I could tweak or set up. I was like, okay, two clicks here. I feel happy with the rebound here. Air pressure is good. I'm biking. It's working well.
0: Yep. Well, and that's a really good point because the way that we, with all these incremental minute changes, it it can be a double-edged sword. You know, it's like, imagine if you ask someone, you can have, choose which two millimetres of reach you want between 470 and 490 okay. for a large. there would be like, for some people that were convinced they knew the way, it would be great. I mean, I'm so sort of my own ass, I think it'd be fantastic mm-hmm. until I rode a bike, that gave me back pain or whatever. Um, I mean, but they- for other people, it could be completely daunting. And does that, this, this simple Marzocchi shock, which has less adjustment, a sweeping dial, which now maybe i'm coming around to
3: <laughs> does it actually it suits some people really well i think like a lot of people
0: and you guys ride bikes pretty hard you both know know your shit does that suit you would you go for this shock or do you want those clicks
4: mm. i mean looking at the numbers uh in terms of dollars on on paper this was a really this
3: to me it was a standout shock for the price me too yeah i liked it a lot i like road we had like our test lap that we wrote everything on and i had like end of day i'd go up and ride something else personal fun lap and like probably Dario coincidentally fun
0: lap in whistler hey
3: that was my fastest time down <laughs> on, on that but i think that's just coincidental i'm not gonna like say it's the fastest shock it was like it works really well it works well i like it um i think worth mentioning too is that like tunes matter a ton yes on shocks and we're assuming I think correctly that like the brands sent us the correct tunes for the nomad across the board, but you get into like, like on a motorcycle, for instance, like you send your suspension out to a tuner and it comes back and there's no external adjustment. You're just like, this is what you have except for like pressures and things like,
0: well, I think the shocks often the cut of meat and then how it's cooked is, is left mm -hmm. to the the chef de jour sort of thing. Um, This shock, obviously we've said it's lower value. It sounds like it really delivers. Does it have does it share some of the same internals as the Fox shock for ease of adjustment? Things like volume spacers, tools,
3: spares? use the same volume adjusters as the Float X. Uh so, yeah. And like you won't need many tools to service it. Like maybe a strap wrench to take the air can down, same as a couple of the others. Um like vivid you need a strap wrench to get the air can off as well. Uh X2 you know, like basic things to do that. I've, I've had luck with float X's and this is architecturally very similar to that. Just with like two hands as hard as I can opening it up to get volume spacers in there. And
0: in, a so. tube and an Allen key is also a good yeah, one. Inner tube. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, yeah. So Matt, it sounds like you were, you know, lavishing praise on this cheaper shock. So it sounds like it achieves what it set out to do. Deliver good performance in the Marzocchi brand with a twisted piggyback. Thank God for less money.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, given what options you have in terms of tweaking it, uh, I I found I played with the air pressure a little bit to sort of set up the sag and the progression. Um but in terms of clickers, it it did all the things relatively well uh compared to m- the more expensive, more intricate builds here. Uh so I think that just kind of says something, you know, if you're overwhelmed by too many adjustments and don't want to spend seven hundred dollars on a shock this is a really great option
0: but do not think that that maybe betrays how sometimes the the fashionable element of mountain biking we want a big shock we want it to have high speed and low speed rebound and this that and the other sometimes simplicity is timeless
3: though yeah and i'm wearing a casio you know not a rolex
0: (laughs) and um if with this lack of adjustment could you get say if you did you know equip say uh, maybe a beginner or someone that rides hard but doesn't have that much interest in setup with say a vivid all, all the settings in the middle is it going to be in roughly a similar place to that mozaki shock mm. is it a case of not making use or is it a case of a well set up shock do you see what i mean
4: i think they're going to be more concerned about other things while biking than mm-hmm. one or two clicks like which brake lever does which
0: well maybe they're a bit a they're bit just, more into it than that yeah yeah
3: yeah more more concerned about the trail features and yeah yeah, yeah. I, okay maybe like the way to phrase this is like what's nice about the simplicity of the Mirzoki is that there's not a lot to think about and you can stop thinking about the settings mm. on something like the vivid or the it's, x2 it's wine in a box it's but, a box of wine
0: right a nice box
3: of wine but it's like mm. worth it's worth thinking about these for a bit you can and stop then once once you've, once you've thought of it you can stop <laughs> like it's just like you want if you've made the monetary investment in the boutique thing like then put in the time investment in setting it up where with the Marzocchi it's like cheaper simpler and you can kind of just go for a ride absolutely so
0: that is the Mazaki shock let's finish it off with the strengths and weaknesses Matt strength sounds, sounds like value and performance to be fair
4: yep ease of setup uh, ease of finding a happy place like you know you kind of know if you're going too far in one direction with uh, the rebound or not um yeah just general setup is is fast easy it's mm-hmm. it's very smooth as well uh on the nomad at least mm-hmm. and yeah any other pros
3: um or go right into cons if there are any i mean like the tune felt good for the bike i guess that's a pro to this shock specifically like it didn't do anything weird throughout the travel that was nice.
0: And the negatives.
3: Um, it's really simple. So if you're someone who wants to adjust like high speed rebound or like the, the unique compressions, you want, you know, different air pressure adjustments like the DVO offers, you don't have anything. You have one sweeping dial and you have rebound. Um, I don't think that's it's, it's just a simpler thing. You no. know, it's not like a flaw. It's just less um i would say like having indexing on that sweeping compression would be nice but at least because
0: dude i can get a screwdriver right now and put a mark there
3: right i mean i i if it were my shock i'd probably just put <laughs> some like paint or white out or scratch yeah like where i like the compression because say you are on like a fire road climb you would probably just close this out on certain bikes and then you have to then find the place that you liked yeah back in the middle because for me it wasn't fully open mm-hmm. it was like that i I would like match the curvature of the of the trilobe thing to the curvature of the shock so one orientation something like the grip damper on the fox you know you have yes one yeah you have like a clear line so that that's like just user convenience that's lacking but otherwise it is a really simple thing
0: so now it is time for the
3: uhlins uhlins correct (laughs) (laughs) uhlins
0: ttx Matthew, would you be a dear and pass the Olens? <laughs> so this shock weighs... 519 19 grams and costs $780? <gasps> Whoa. Holy
3: shit. It's the most expensive shock on test. <laughs> it is the most expensive shock on test.
0: <laughs> they're a premium brand. They're known for being unapologetically premium. But you could get pretty much... Not far off one, well, one and a half, I suppose. Mazaki shocks, and that comes with a TikTok-approved twisted piggyback.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it comes with its own dance. Yeah. dance. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: That's it. Hey. So, what features does this shock have?
3: It's got, got tool-free compression, high-speed compression adjustment. It has tooled rebound and low-speed adjustment.
0: This has plenty of adjustment. It's slight, looks a very different shape to any of the others on test. Mm-hmm. Um are these adjustments effective, Matt?
4: 100%. 100%
3: uh,
0: effective. Yes. Holy shit, they this is
3: are quite noticeable. This is good. This is what really yeah. somewhere last. Yeah. Henry really likes this shock. Luckily. <laughs> 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 Why well, I,
0: well, I think we've been, you know, going for some like 70s and 80s in terms of commitments.
3: I mean, Over it's 100%. It's, like all, I will feel the fence. very Within a realm of similar.
0: <laughs> so, Matt, speak to me. What, 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 what's 100% about it, these adjustments? Is it feeling between clicks? Is it that the range is really good? How, how, are, these, how are they effective?
4: There is, overall, I would say there's less range or less adjustment than uh, the two bigger shocks we talked about a lot, the Vivid and the Float X2. Um, each click is quite noticeable both in terms of rebound and low speed compression the high speed only has three clicks and each one of those
3: is like night and day difference like each of those three positions is a very distinct ride feel
0: so Mm -hmm. i i mean i've spent a bit of time on a couple of these shocks i've spent quite a lot of time on the Odin stuff um i like that high speed compression adjustment for the very simple reason that i'd like to ride it in two three is for lockout and then one, I like something softer than I would have for descending for climbing. It makes no sense to me. It's like what? Hmm. So you're going to be climbing? Oh, you guess you don't want any grip then? What? No, yeah, no I want on. it softer. Yeah. Like, but also I want to have. I like that it can go both ways. What mode are you typically descending in this in? I mean, this is one, two, three.
4: It is kind of strange that the high speed compression controls the threshold. Yeah. Normally it's the low speed. It is. Right.
0: Well, it isn't. It isn't. I mean, I think that high speed. Compression adjustment is always a very effective way to adjust it. It's just architecturally whether you can preload okay. or like limit As, as or, the
3: counterexample, the X2, when you close the threshold, it's closing the low-speed yeah. compression.
0: Yeah, but it's closing th- the low-speed compression, which means then it's diverting straight for the preloaded high-speed gyms. So, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's... Yeah, I think that high-speed compression on this is, is a very, very adequate adjustment i haven't ridden mm-hmm. it on the on the santa cruz um to
3: answer off, your question i rode it in two downhill into, a lot except yeah. when i was doing like slabby slow creepy things i'd sometimes put it in one where mm. you wanted to like sit into the bike more
0: i mean maybe that begs a question though we were saying the simplicity of the marzocchi uh, these other shocks at least you you know you weren't changing a click oh my god i'm coming up to a slab back off the high speed compression two clicks is this maybe too much too much having
4: varying levels of descending <laughs> I mean, I wrote it in the open high speed mm. uh, and just used the air pressure in the low speed to sort of control um, where the sag was and mm. sort of how much support the shock had. Um, for my liking, in those lower speed movements where you're pushing into the bike, mm. uh, adding any of the high speed made it too rough on the smaller bumps and chattery stuff
3: yeah and that's why i like i treated it as like almost two different shocks between mm-hmm. the two like I would okay ch- you'd like change other things which maybe is like a frustration with it is that it's such a distinct change other settings have yes, to change have as to a knock-on so like you have to commit kind of to one yeah i could i could use that more for like uh
4: maybe between big trails like one's more of, like a natural trail and more, one's more of like a jump trail yeah you, but you don't even know
0: what trail you want until you want it yeah it's no oh my god there's a you know you click the thing yeah I mean that's the point why don't any of these shocks have remote lockouts
4: I I would love a remote lockout on you Ma, hand on your notice <laughs> <laughs> I mean they're I mean, there but why, why not but the Matt, trails very so the much. problem is
0: remote lockouts aren't I'm sorry I just I don't know everything I just happen to know the right answer about this one particular thing remote lockouts aren't done right they need to be there's a softer setting for climbing it's stupid that like most of the remote lockouts are there when you've got a bike that's too firm anyway all the time just mm, just I make agree. it so you have a soft one for climbing that, that, sure. sorry I'm going off go a tangent but that bold with yeah. <laughs> a similar sort of thing when renewing it it would be way better
3: if it had Couldn't you just if you descended lock it, out it in out the then. middle mode was that? oh I see what you mean yeah
0: yeah anyway that's, um, that's by the by um, Olins tend to have a philosophy maybe slightly different from some of the others in my experience anyway where they run slightly lower spring rates and slightly higher damping was this something that was present right in that nomad and if so how did that play into the rebound tune i found sometimes their rebound tunes can be quite slow
4: i well they sent us first i should Mm. yeah that's right let everybody know what story that they sent us their enduro race tune which is slightly different special what does that mean this is what any of their racers running a santa cruz nomad would have but what does it mean I it's a don't lighter know. tune. I mean, it's like, what does the, the lighter,
0: go, if, have for his pasta? It's, a it's a lighter tune.
3: It's like, a lighter tune. Yeah, that's what they told us.
0: Interesting. So why? But if, like, if the enduro riders who ride really hard are having a lighter tune than from stock, that's a bit backwards, surely.
3: Maybe it's like the same thought process, or it's a language barrier issue. But I think it's the same thought process as like people running faster rebound at the higher end of like racing. Like, it doesn't mean you're a better rider if you run faster rebound, but, like, you can you hold on to a bike better, mm. you can hold on to that. I'm not entirely sure. Okay. But, like, we do have... Yeah, it is a different tune, as all of these are. They're, like, tuned for yeah, the Nomad. For the like, bike, yes. and it worked well with it. I, I ran, like, a normal amount of rebound where, yeah, in past experiences with the TTX, I've run, like, a bit... To get it to feel like I'm used to other shocks feeling, I would run it faster than I would expect to.
0: And so... Apart from this being yellow,
3: what's its USP? I'd say like distinct. It's the most distinct adjustment. Like whether what? that's something you're looking for or not, I don't know. But like it is cool because it's different. That you have like one, two, three.
0: It's like very distinct, clear, but complicated. Or distinct, but because we, you know we, we bagged on the fox and the rock shocks. Maybe people people losing their north star. But was it easy uh, to get lost in this shock?
3: I'd say it like takes the thing I like about the Vivid in that like you have less but noticeable adjustments and ratchets that up even more mm. where there's like even less and even more noticeable. Yeah.
0: And it does without some of the, you know, for instance, the I feel like there were kind of two things going on here. There's the three premium shocks, which are definitely more expensive, or seven hundred ish dollars and up. Mm-hmm. Or there are the the bomber. And the Topaz, which come in at 550 and South. Of these three shocks, if we look at the features on them, you know, the the Fox has got high and low speed compression and rebound. Mm-hmm. The Rock Shocks does without the the two different rebounds, but it's got the high speed sorry. The hydraulic bottom out, not high speed bottom out. Mm-hmm. The Olands, the Erlins has the doesn't have It's only got three external adjustments. Is it a lesser shock for it, Matt?
4: I don't think it's a lesser... No, I'm going to change my answer. I do do think it it is. You do think it's a lesser shock? I think it is as well. Yeah, if I had to pick one of these three more expensive shocks, I would go with the Vivid, and then the Float X2, and then the Olens.
0: And what are they doing that this Olens can't do? Is Is it an adjustment thing?
4: I found it was the firmest. Mm -hmm. and
0: you don't ride fast enough (laughs) malice you ever tried dropping your heels
4: jesus (laughs) (laughs) i lower the pressures i raise the pressures i play with the low speed rebound quite a bit um i for me it didn't the the spring rate didn't fit quite right with the nomad
0: no fair enough yeah dario do you think same question does it Does it do enough to justify having less features, which in this game of fashion might matter to some people?
3: I liked how composed it felt, though you can tune the Vivid and X2 to feel that way as well. Mm. Like, I I wouldn't describe it as like overly damped, but it like sits where it, I don't know how to put this, it like, it lands at a certain point in travel and like hums along there nicely. Mm. That can, But it can feel like harshness in the wrong scenario.
0: Typically Erland's I think has a, has a attribute where it's very happy to go deep into its stroke but it manages to be quite composed whilst doing so. Mm-hmm. Where I feel that some shocks when they go that deep, you're suddenly like holding onto a live wire. It that, could go either way. Yeah, and
3: I'd like, when I first popped this on, even though I'd set sag like to exactly where I'd had the others, I was like, oh weird. I'm like, I can press really deep into the shock, just in the lot. And it But it doesn't feel like, I don't know, it's pitching the bike, like certainly because the architecture of the bike is moving. But yeah, like on a compression and handling the forces way, it does deal with that pretty well. But I'd agree with Matt that I'd probably go with the like, these two other big dogs before this.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I I find that the Olin stuff is not, I'm not sure it's for people who aren't really intent on cracking on. That's been my, that'd be my inference. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, it's very you mean good. like
3: it's not easy to ride? It's,
0: it's not, it can be comfortable, but I feel like the harder you push, the better it is. I found that. Um, yeah. And as someone that is dog shit on a bike, <laughs> it's a real... Puts me in a bit of a pickle there, Dario. <laughs> you do
4: pretty damn well. I would, I would say that's pretty fair to say about that shock in particular on a Nomad.
0: Mm. Yeah. So um, do you think this shock sounds... Like it hasn't quite hit the sweet spot. Do do you think it's set out to what it achieved? Has it it taken it to the the X2 and the Vivid?
4: It definitely has a lot of control, but you have to ride the bike harder, like you said.
0: Matt, the strengths of this Olin shock, what are they?
3: Mm.
4: The strengths of the TTX Air. The simplicity of the setup. And the distinct clicks and how they change the damping characteristics. So, yeah, just getting it set up, getting it to your liking. I think the, the range of error or like the window of error is less than the other shocks. Okay. And some of the weaknesses Except for the Rizoki. Sorry. Yeah.
3: That's except except like except the Rizocchi. Rizocchi. Was,
0: yeah. Um, and Dario, some of the weaknesses of this shock.
3: Um, I think you put it well. Like, you kind of have to ride it a bit harder. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just given the nature of it on this bike, it was, like, hit things a bit harder, expect there to be a bit more feedback, but also expect control because of that. Um, uh, It's really expensive. That would be my biggest con. Like, personally, I wouldn't want to spend the most money on a shock. You know, you'd want to spend quite a bit, but, like, given our experience with this uh, five shock run. I'm like, well, but it's not twice as good as the Murzoki.
0: But also it sounds like from this shock run it shows us how what a great spot run for suspension and actually how the shock mm-hmm. tune for the original shock that came on the bike, in some ways it might be, you know, a better bet than buying one off the shelf.
3: It's certainly that's you like know? those are my two biggest takeaways was like one, they all feel really good. Also like a really good bike helps mask it that a help, bit yeah. like maybe an, it would have been better to do this test on a bike that has like a bad kinematic because like you could see how well a shock can fix that maybe that's next shock week maybe you um, should keep
0: an idea we do value bike field test next year and we keep some of the value bikes
3: and try them right. on that yeah it'd be interesting to see if you like what how much of a band-aid that can be and then my other takeaway is like yeah a shock tune matters we, we had the opportunity with the vivid to do two different tunes and try them and there was a difference between the two, like one better for some people, one better for others perhaps, but like I found there to be a distinct difference. And that is the case with all five of these. Like you could get a tune that really matches the bike well.
0: And so wrapping up, you have just been gifted a Santa Cruz Nomad frame, but you've got to buy your own shock. Thank you, Santa. Thank you, Santa Santa Cruz. Um, what shock are you buying with your own money to fit to that injury bike, Dario? Buy the Murasaki because it's yeah, the least
3: money, and it worked really well. It worked really well. Um, or I'd try to buy uh, Black X2. Mm, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. This doesn't do anything, but the this does. So that might be my move.
0: Cool, excellent there for the podcast listeners at home. Sorry, I mean it's <laughs> a
3: video. There's three cameras pointed at us. Okay, the, I would I would go with the non-Kashima X2 because it's cheaper significantly.
0: Dario's <laughs> famous pointing show.
3: pardon Um, me for being (laughs) mistaken by the cameras um, Matt what would you choose I mean I have an
4: expensive bike we're talking about a difference of 300 ish dollars 250 I would spend the extra money and go for the vivid because of the adjustments Um, particularly the hydraulic bottom out and how you can pair that with uh the ramp up cool well
0: there we have it so it sounds like the marzocchi is a real good value proposition the vivid is a very good shock and rock shocks are very much back in the game when it comes to sort of downhill aggressive air shocks where they've been away for a little while but it sounds to be fair like everyone's really catered to especially dvo riders who deserve nothing but the best thank you very much for listening and watching and please tune into the Pinkbike homepage for all the full length write-ups because there you're going to get more coherent information than you probably got here thanks guys <laughs> we'll catch yeah. you next time and that was that that was the shock week quite Expansive round table. (laughs) There are only so many times you can say bloody hell this shock's good, apparently, but we did it euphemistically for literally about an hour. Uh, (laughs) guys, something I want to talk to you that isn't a it isn't about high-tech questions. And and Alicia, you know, I'd love to get your opinion as well, coming from different parts of the country, which which is important. On that new Hope Bike, which Seb Stott just reviewed, and it's very exciting and it looks good, and it's got crammed full of tech. It hasn't got much in the way of mud clearance. In fact, it's it's pretty bloody close. And I don't know if that has any impact as well in terms of what happens when the bottom suffers sorry, when the bike suffers a harsh bottom out. <laughs> I was nearly ending up in um, in difficult waters there. Alicia, different places you've lived, different places you've ridden.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mud clearance. Surely this is something that we just take as a given now. Is this something you've ever had an experience with? Uh, any bike doing it it bad? And is there any excuse for a bike not to have adequate mud clearance in 2023?
1: Honestly, I think that most people don't need very much mud clearance at all. I think it really depends on where you ride and what conditions you ride in. But many of us never ride in the mud. And many of us live in places where the mud doesn't really stick to the bike. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just a pretty specific category of person who does experience mud on their bike and needs that to not be a problem?
0: Well, if we know one thing in the bike industry, it's that the British people and English people are obviously thoroughly underrepresented. It's not like you know we basically be such a small country with no real mountains, pretty much dictate large swathes of it. <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up for the the very vocal majority. Mud clearance is an issue. Ride in the UK in winter, and if you run the aggressive tires to get the sticky mud, you know to get through the sticky mud, it will then absolutely cook your frame. And this Hope bike is a British bike, Kaz. Yeah, I mean, you live in Bellingham, you have a great time, do you not?
2: Yeah, do you no, have I'm, with, I'm, I'm with you on this one because mud clearance. I mean, the other part of mud clearance is tire clearance. So you need to have room for bigger tires if you want. And this, yeah, this Hope looks like there's not a ton of clearance. And we've run into this in the past. I remember. One of the older, I think an older transition smuggler, it could only fit a 2.3 inch rear tire. Um, It's since been fixed, but that was years ago. But I remember that being an issue. You know, you could, if you run a 2.3, you couldn't run anything bigger and in the mud, it would just get kind of clogged up. So yeah, I think you need just tire clearance in general, even if it's not for the mud. It's to make sure that the tire doesn't rub the frame if you're cornering super hard. You know, Matt Beer can make like any tire rub almost any frame, but someone that's bigger can put a lot of flex in that rear wheel. Um, And I think that, yeah, you just need some clearance. It's not
0: too simple, but yeah. And does the way that we measure tires lend itself to this sort of problem? Because we talk about width, but they become, as they often go wider, they often become taller as well.
2: Yeah, probably. I think that, I mean, it's. I'm sure there are numbers out there that companies can reference, but yeah, you need to kind of look at the whole tire, not just the size of the tire, because that front of the tire can hit the front of the uh, the chainstay yoke. And yeah, if that's where the mud is getting pulled through. So yeah, tire clearance and mud clearance, I'm a fan of it. And more is typically better to a point, I guess yeah
0: i think especially we've seen that with you know a lot of cross-country bikes can have a 2.4 now mm-hmm. um i just think it's i don't know i think the bike looks absolutely gorgeous it sounds like they've done a great job you know there seems like there are lots and lots to to be to praise the bike for but i don't know hmm yeah it just it just feels weird just because it's because it's a british bike as well yeah exactly you know? it's a
2: british yeah british bike like made in britain so i think that you would think there'd be more mud clearance but who knows
0: hey hey so alicia we're going into music corner now I understand you've got something of a playlist for us.
1: Sure. I once again didn't plan out my Music Corner recommendation very well, but I I guess about four years ago, I just made a big playlist of like a bunch of songs I liked at the time and have kind of just kept returning to it over and over again and still find myself listening yes. to it all the time. So I figured I'd recommend that one. It's on Spotify called Songs AL, which is my initials. Songs AL likes today and that today is no longer today it's actually several years ago but you know didn't really update
0: (laughs) so cool though to have like a little time capsule of a time and place exactly that's
1: actually so a couple times in the first like couple of years i added a few new favorite songs and then kind of realized like i wanted to be a time capsule going back to you know 2018 or whatever i i It was such an interesting time period for me when I made that playlist and the songs I liked at the time and reasons I liked those songs and all of that is just such an interesting place to go back in the memories so I don't know I'm gonna keep it around and keep revisiting it and if you guys feel like it you can too. Amazing thank you very much.
2: Kaz
0: what's your suggestion for Music Corner?
2: Yeah, mine's from a band called RVG, and the name of the song is called Squid, and it's off their new-ish album called Brainworks. clearly
0: see me riding.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, and no, it's just kind of cool. Um, the vocalist voice, I really like, and yeah, check it out. So Squid uh, by RVG.
0: Oh, great stuff. Yeah. Um, my suggestion is a particular live version of the Beachland Ballroom by Idols. Idols are a band we've spoken about before. Yes. I absolutely love them. I think this as a live performance is nothing short of staggering. And um, yeah, I just think it's just so fantastic and visceral. And that'd be my suggestion. And um, I think we'll wrap it up there. So thank you very much for joining me today, guys, on the Pink Bite Podcast. And thank you at home for listening. Don't forget to get your comments and questions on the article because I don't check all the articles. So if you put your question here, it's got more of a chance of being answered. Thanks, guys. And we'll catch you next time.